you turn with me please to the sixth chapter of the book of Judges that we read from this morning? I want to look at this man called Gideon. A very good Bible study is always Bible characters. Bearing in mind that these men and women were not supernatural beings. They were just ordinary people. And the prophet Amos was only a herder of sheep, that's all. And yet God took them up. And what they were, they were by the grace of God. And folks, that's what it is with all of us. There's a very important geographical point in the United States. It's in the state of Texas. It's a small mission church in San Antonio. In the year 1836, Texas declared itself independent of Mexico. Mexican army under General Santa Ana came to fight. He brought 3,000 soldiers with him. <coughs> there was only a handful of defenders inside the Alamo mission. What lay before these men was this. You can surrender, you can fight, or you can run. Colonel W.B. Travis, who was the commander of that small force, gathered them all together and drew a line in the dirt of the ground. And he said, everyone who's willing to stay with me and fight, step over the line. Everybody there except one man did that. And by doing that, they sealed their fate. Every one of them died. Men like Davy Crockett, who has an Ulster, had an Ulster connection. Jim Bowie, who designed a very famous knife. Ulster backgrounds. Ulster stock. There was no turning back for these men. After that battle was over, and all those men died. Every conflict to follow, the battle cry of the American people was, remember the Alamo. And that stayed the case for a long time. Until that day of infamy when the Japanese Air Force and Naval Force attacked Pearl Harbor in 1941, I think it was. Then remember the Alamo became remember Pearl Harbor. Just like we in Ulster's history talk about remember 1690 and so on. That was what instilled courage into the heart of the people in the United States. The whole nation was moved by their courage. Now Gideon, he had an Alamo in his life. God drew a line and Gideon crossed it. And beloved, by so doing, he roused the whole nation to stand for God and the rights of Jehovah. I want to look at this just for a few moments with you and I can promise you it will not be a long 
lengthy sermon today. But I want you to think of this first of all. The task that Gideon was given was difficult. It was not an easy thing to do. Look at verse 25 and 6. The Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it, and build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place, and take the second bullock and offer a bird sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. It wasn't an extremely difficult thing physically, although there was work involved, but very difficult in these particular circumstances. If you read the passage carefully, you'll discover that three times Gideon tests God. Verse 17, verse 37, and verse 39. But here, God is testing Gideon. You see, idolatry was rampant, the thing that God abhors in the land. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. They did this evil blatantly. This idolatry was done blatantly in the sight of God. As if it was an irrelevant thing. Gideon's own father. Look at verse 25. Gideon's own father, Joash, had this idol in his home and was looking after it, according to verse 25. Threw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath and cut down the grove that is by it. So Gideon had to put this right before God was going to use him to deliver Israel. Gideon, take a young bull and a seven-year-old bull and pull down the altar of Baal. And then in verse 26, sacrifice the seven-year-old bull. This young bull was probably Joash's to be sacrificed to Baal. Gideon used it to destroy Baal's altar. The second bull was seven years. The same number of years that Gideon oppressed Israel. Someone said, seven years of oppression went up in the smoke of obedient service. Oh yes, it was a difficult task. Beloved, it's hard to stand for God in your own family and your own home. Because in order to do it, there had to be in Gideon's part a willingness to destroy. Throw down, said God. The altar of Baal. Give it no respect at all. Just throw it down. Idolatry has to go. There was an altar of Baal discovered at the place called Megiddo in the Holy Land in Israel. It was 25 feet square, four and a half feet high, made of stones and cemented with mud. Gideon did need the bulls and the ten men for the physical effort. But the point is this, brethren and sisters. Baal had to go before Midian could go. And so with us, 
If you harbor an idol in your heart this morning or this afternoon and it keeps you from blessing, it's a bail in your life. It's an idol. So there has to be a willingness to destroy the idol because there's a work to do. If you have a wee look at, we'll not do that this afternoon, but if you look at the verses 17 through 24, you'll see that Gideon gets himself right in his heart, and that's where it has to start. Is thy heart right with God? That's the question. And what a question, brethren, it is. Is your heart right with God? Then when it comes to verse 26, it comes down to getting his home right. You see, if the heart's right, it's much easier to get the home right. Put an altar up to God in the home and destroy the altar of Baal in your own heart. And this caused a problem. Standing for God will always cause a problem. Verse 28 reminds us, when the men of the city arose early in the morning. Now you'll notice, these false religionists, these idolaters were early risers. We don't suggest that we follow their methods, but in this early rising, you're just doing what the Savior did and what men and women of God have done over the generation. You rise early. There's a famous evangelist in India a number of years ago. And in India, of course, to get anywhere, you've got to make long train journeys. And he had to get a train at four o'clock in the morning. And his usual means of going about was he rose at four o'clock in the morning to pray for a few hours before he went on his journey. Someone said to him, now this train you're to get tomorrow, sir, goes at four o'clock. What are you going to do? He says, I'm going to rise at two o'clock. He wasn't put off by the difficulty that arose. Neither was Gideon. They rose early in the morning and saw that the altar of Baal was cast down and the grove also. And the second bullock was offered upon the altar. Who has done this? Very early they heard it was Joash's son. Then they say in verse 30 to Joash, bring out thy son that he may die. Opposition to this idolatry was going to cause Gideon his life. But friends, it didn't stop him. Like the two Margarets in the Firth of the Solway Firth that were tied to the stakes to drown. And one watched the other die in the waters and would not budge. All she had to say was the king on the throne in, in England is Lord of the church, is king of the church. She wouldn't say it because he wasn't. She owed no king but Jesus, you see. And they died. Then an amazing thing was that Gideon's father, Joash, came to his defense. He said to the men that stood against him, 
Will ye plead for Baal? Will ye save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death while it is yet morning. If he be a god, let him plead for himself, because one hath cast down his altar. Therefore in that day he called him Jerubbabel, saying, Let Baal plead against him. Here's a man that kept the idol of Baal in his home and looked after it. Now he has come round. The stand of his son challenged this man and indeed challenged many in the nation. Can one man make a difference? Oh, yes. Not very long ago, we were over in Germany, Luther's anniversary, and uh, I, I sat opposite the church in Wittenberg where he nailed his thesis. Now, of course, it's not the same door, but it's the same church. And I just sat there in amazement, trying to picture in my mind this wee monk scurrying through the cobbled streets of Wittenberg with this parchment under his arm, taking it to the church door and nailing it there. No one took notice of him. No one thought twice about what he was doing. And yet what he did, by nailing that thesis to the door, he nailed the coffin of Romanism throughout Europe. He ignited the spark that caused the Reformation. Yes, friends, one man, one woman can make a difference. Gideon here certainly made a difference. He gave him a new name, his father did. This name, Jerubbabel. You know what it means? Baal's conqueror. Gideon's life had an effect on other lives. Do you ever think that? That your life, my life, can have an effect on others? But it can. When prominent folk, godly folk have died, people have testified afterwards, that man, that woman, in their lives had an effect on me. Had an effect on me. Many years ago when I was first converted, days of great blessing, and especially in Raven Hill, it was just wonderful to be there. But I remember the prayer meetings. And I remember the church caretaker. Billy Hamilton was his name. The father of the Reverend Stephen Hamilton over there in America. And I listened to Billy pray. And folks, I never heard the like of that before. That man was praying as if he believed Jesus Christ was beside him. And of course he was. Now Billy, those that knew him, was a unique character. He never knew what was coming next. But boy, could he pray. And that had an effect. I think when looking back on it, that sort of thing had an effect on me and was one of the influences that God used in my life to draw me into the preaching ministry. It was a task that was difficult. Time is going on. But there's also here a truth that was divine. 
In verse 34, it says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet. You see, if you look at verses 2, 3, 4 of the chapter, you'll see that Israel lost their freedom. They lost their fruit, their freedom and their fruit and their food. There was a great dearth. What Midian did decimated Israel and their people. The name Midian, of course, means strife. And if there's anything you need to avoid in your church fellowship, beloved, it's strife. That spirit of theatrophies that has to have the preeminent place, it shouldn't exist in any of our assemblies. But in chapter 6 and verse 34, you notice these words. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet. Now when you compare that with the text in Genesis 28-20, you read about raiment to put on. Raiment to put on. Now it's the same word as in the verse 34 here. It's literally the Spirit clothed himself with Gideon. Now bearing that in mind, Turn for a moment to the book of Isaiah. And I find this very interesting. It's Isaiah uh, 59. Isaiah chapter 59. And I'm looking at verse 17. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and an helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing. And was clad with zeal as a cloak. The Holy Spirit literally took possession of Gideon. You see, folks, clothes don't fight the wearer. Don't fight the Lord. Yield to him who giveth the garments of salvation. Clothe yourself. This is what Gideon experienced. And in verse 34, of course, it also tells us about him blowing the trumpet. Make war with Midian, that's it. Send messengers throughout all Manasseh, verse 35. Messengers unto Asher, Zebulun and Naphtali. And they came up to meet them. His own family and tribe now rally to him. They'd wanted to kill him before, but not now. You see, folks, the Holy Spirit in his life made the difference. Do you ever think of that? You don't need to be famous, you know. You don't need to be named. There's a tremendous sweet study you can do. The ministry of the unnamed. People in the Bible whose names are not even given. But he did a great work. Remember when the disciples were sent to find the upper room that the Lord might break bread with them? They met a man who was carrying a pitcher. That was unusual in itself. So the woman usually did that. And they stopped him. And he led them to the upper room 
And the man that owned that upper room, his name is not given in Scripture. But look what he accomplished because he yielded to what the Lord wanted. The whole institution, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper very shortly. The whole institution began through a man whose name was not given. Oh, you don't need your name, you know, in lights. You might not be known outside this assembly or outside the town area of Korean, but listen, if you work for Jesus, you're known in heaven. And surely that's all that matters. A task that was difficult. A truth that was divine. And then there is here, very quickly, a test that was definitive. Gideon was encouraged by the response that led to the 32,000 men. You know the story. And then the story here of the fleece. How that miraculous thing was done with the fleece. Wet with dew one day and dry the next. It was just a sign. Oh, we need to stick to the scriptures, you know. Folks, in your daily living, just trust the Lord. Don't look any further than God's guidance. And I was a wee fella, and that's going back a while, in the Tigers Bay area. There was a wee woman in our street. Her name was Mrs. Moore, actually. And she had this wonderful ministry. She read the tea leaves, you know. In the days before, there was such a thing as tea bags. And they used to be queued outside her door with these empty teacups with tea leaves up the side of them. And they went for Mrs. Moore to read their future. You're going to meet a tall, dark stranger. In Tigers Bay, that usually meant a policeman. But uh, that's what the thing that she was doing. And people, my own relatives, were absolutely gripped by this. This was like scripture. And it was all bunk. And, but, you see, Mrs. Moore didn't know the future. And nobody knows the future except what's recorded in the book. And you just trust what the scripture says. Oh, friends, stick to the word of God. The famous Henry Ford, and with this I close, met a young man one day whose Ford car had broken down at the roadside. Henry Ford got out and looked at the engine and fiddled about for a minute or two and just said to the young fellow, it'll work now some. The young fellow said, how do you know? He says, I'm Henry Ford. I made it. And of course it worked. God has made the future. God has planned your life. God's in control of our lives. Oh, brethren, listen, we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. Just commit your way unto the Lord and he will direct your paths. I trust the Lord will bless these few thoughts to our hearts this morning. For his name's sake. Now could I say that I won't be going to the door as I tell the people each week. By the time I would get to the door you'd be at your dinner. So I'd be in the pulpit. And then of course we're going to have 
the Lord's table. After I have the closing prayer, then those that have to leave us, please feel free so to do, and the rest will remain, and we'll have the communion service. <coughs>